newspaper men meet such interesting people. They know the lowdown, now it can be told. I'll tell you quite reliably off the record about some charming people I have known. For I meet politicians and grafters by the score. Killers plain and fancy, it's really quite a bore. Oh, newspaper men meet such interesting people. They wallow in corruption, crime and gore. Ting-a-ling-ling, city desk. Pull the press, pull the press. Extra, extra, read all about it. It's a mess meets the test. Oh, newspaper men meet such interesting people. It's wonderful to represent the press. Media Project is an opportunity for a little commentary and analysis of the media issues of the week, and we hope that you will be able to join us for the next half hour. I'm Rex Smith, editor-at-large of the Times Union of Albany, here with Dr. Alan Shartok, the CEO of Northeast Public Radio. Alan, good day to you. And good day to you. I've got my problems. There's no question about it. But the latest problem, and it's really bothering me a little bit... Not that anybody cares, is that NPR is looking for money. And as a result, they are, for the first time, going after major givers. They say they're going to ask before they come to our givers. But how? This is my problem. How can WAMC afford to pay them, you know, 800000 bucks a year if they're going to take, for the first time, go and ask for direct money from our listeners? I don't, I, I, I have a problem with that. Well, we'll get to your problem in just a moment. We will, Thank Alan, you. and I appreciate you, your eagerness Thank to be a part of this. But Thank you, Doctor. I, I, I promise. We will come back to it. Just relax on the couch there for a second. Uh, Thank Judy you, Patrick is here, Vice President of the New York Press Association and uh, former editor of the Daily Gazette in Schenectady. Anybody trying to take your money away, Judy? <laughs> you know, I've got no problems up here. <laughs> All's well. <laughs> Good. And Rosemary Armeo, a longtime investigative journalist and Albany journalism professor. How are you today, Rosemary? I'm very well, and I have some financial problems, too, if you'd like to take them on. They're much smaller than Alan's. <laughs> yeah, I guess so. Nobody's coming after your $800,000 at this point, huh? $800,000 would solve every problem I have or ever have had. <laughs> you think. <laughs> you think now. I don't know about that. Anyway, well, well, not uh, everybody is in your not everybody's in your group, Rex. So yeah, you're right. Money doesn't solve all the problems, Alan, and I don't think Rosemary really means that. You know, we all have issues that we're very grateful for, notwithstanding those big bad NPR people coming after the major givers. Well, what are you supposed to do about that, Alan? I mean, so they want you to give them the list of your major givers so that they can come after them as well. Is that what they you're telling me? Well, they say they're going to ask first. Right. You know, it's a problem that, of course, universities confront all the time when they have individual schools or uh, programs that uh, go after donors that the larger university development office wants to go for. And I suppose in your solicitation of funds, Alan, do you ever encounter a situation where people are trying to have an effect on programming by virtue of their donations? It doesn't happen much, but it happens, all right. We'll get a letter from somebody saying, I will never give you any money because I heard somebody say something about why women should be allowed to have abortions. But that's what I consider to be an excuse. You know, we just had, a, for not giving, we just had a major fund drive, which wasn't really a fund drive. It was uh, what we call our lockbox. And 
We expected it to take a full month, and it took about a week. And, you know, people were there, and they just did their thing, and it was quite wonderful to watch. It literally got me wet around the eyes that people took it all so seriously, and they knew what to do. So if you get one guy who says, or one person who says, I'll never give you any money because you did this, it really means almost nothing to us. Mm -hmm. This is more of a general issue as well, because... We're seeing across the country more and more media companies, local newspapers, local television stations are appealing to their readers or their listeners for contributions. And this is part of the, the virus phenomenon, but they've seen you know hundreds of thousands of dollars roll in, and so it's, a, it's become a really competitive market. And then when you have the big players like Google or Facebook have programs where they distribute millions of dollars in grants. There's also the competition. And, you know, it's the people who can prepare the best grant application that usually win or can make the best case for themselves. And things have gotten a lot more competitive, and I don't know if that's good or not. Or people who are connected. I mean, I have found with grants that if somebody knows somebody on a board, that's extremely helpful. And, by the way, NPR does very well in that area, and they should. They go to major corporations who give them money, major foundations that give them money because they want to get to the whole country. That makes an awful lot of sense. They also compete in some ways with its, their member stations on underwriting. They charge, in some cases, similar amounts of money for national underwriting. Now, if you could get a whole country as opposed to a city, it seems to me it's a pretty non-brainer, right? This whole uh, discussion shows how vulnerable our news media is today since we've gone away from the idea of profitable uh, communication companies and we've gone to hedge funds and foundations are financing and, and contributions from the public are sustaining our media outlets and that there are terrible problems with that. Money can change. So can their demands on what they want for as they expend their money. It just underscores to me the need for a real solution to the business model. That's absolutely right. Even though, as, as Judy mentions, there are grants available, the dollars don't compete with the need. The amount of need to support journalism is very great. For example, I'm just looking at an announcement that the Google News Initiative's Journalism Emergency Relief Fund, they have just allocated $5,000 from the JERF, the Journalism Immunity Relief Fund, to this fine magazine, the Adirondack Explorer, based up in the Adirondacks. And I think this is a uh, terrific thing, that $5,000 is going to support the local magazine in an area that is underserved by the news media. But, you know, a $5,000 grant from Google, which is one of the two entities that has cornered 60% of the advertising dollars of the internet entirely, is a small amount of money, actually. So, you know, you you rob a bank because that's where the money is, was the old claim. So where do you go for money? Where do you find a solution to support journalism? I still like the British model. I've not seen that bested any place. Mm -hmm. The American public has proven that it will support gaming online. It will support buying music online. There are 300-plus million Americans, and I think we have to convince the American public that credible news, information that they need to live their lives responsibly is worth paying for. I still, I haven't given up on that. I have. I've seen too many people <laughs> yeah. don't even look at yeah. news, not even on their phones anymore. 39% in the last presidential poll support this president. And this president, Trump, considers the news media the enemy of the people. 
So um, when you say you haven't given up hope on the American people coming around, and the other thing, I, I tell you, I've always felt this, there's that point at which the press is going to not support people if, in fact, their listeners are opposed to the news media. So, you know, to me, and sooner or later, the politicians will come along and say, we're not giving you any money because we don't like what you're saying. It'll happen for sure. But it hasn't happened yet to public broadcasting, Alan. Right. Well, again, we've I mean, talked about this before. It's not we've set talked up that way. It's not no. like a grant; it's a tax that you pay. They mm. certainly change the legislation, but it would it would be more than just Donald Trump saying, "I don't like this plan, so I'm going to nix it." Yeah, there's a there's an advance payment of a couple of years because they all saw that coming when they established this thing. But yeah, Rex, you know, it could happen. No question. Yeah, I like the idea, and I hope that we do get to a point where we get some financial support recognizing the just the incredible value that local news coverage provides for a community and recognizing how community engagement falls when there's no local news coverage. The civic life of a community is lost. We need it more than ever, but there is no business model that works anymore. I mean, look, even one of the topics that I thought we would want to talk about this week is job cuts even coming at what are supposedly the cool players, Vice, Quartz, BuzzFeed, some of the supposedly savviest digital media players have been laying off people this past week. So what does that tell you? If even the, those entities that are supposedly able to reach a, a new audience, a younger audience, what happens if even those are failing? Where else do you turn? And what we're hearing from those companies, they're blaming Facebook and Google, just like we've been blaming, or the newspaper industry has been blaming them for years. They're gobbling up all of the ad revenue at an accelerated rate. So it, it, there's no money for anybody to make in digital other than the big guys, I mean, and, and the biggest guys, Facebook and Google. This is similar to Amazon killing all the mom-and-pop retail stores. They deliver a product that's really hard to argue with, even if you have problems with the corporate culture. Amazon is fast and easy, and it's the same with Facebook and Twitter. If you want a news fix, there it is. It's your friends talking. It's right there. It's not a professional class of journalists who you consider an elite. It's your guys talking to you. That's a hard model to beat, and I don't think that you can. We certainly have not. This problem with the business model is certainly not new. It's been going on for two decades, and we still have not figured it out. So, Rex, I have a question for you. Right. Based sure. on everything we've talked about, and that is, you know, newspapers are, and you've reminded me of this in several occasions, uh, newspapers are for-profit entities. They don't have a public board of directors. So if you go to your publisher or to the publishers of any of these newspapers and say, uh, let's change your status from profit to non-profit, would they do it? I don't know. I certainly wouldn't want to speak for my publisher I think that that's what we're going to see increasingly, though I don't think being a not-for-profit is necessarily the be-all and end-all of this. I don't know that eliminating the profit element of it helps enough to sustain the journalistic enterprise. You know, even not-for-profit newspapers like the Tampa Bay Times in St. Petersburg or The Day in New London, Connecticut, and a number of not-for-profit newspapers around still are having to cut back because even there, you're having those problems. But Alan, to your point, the not-for-profit is probably where we're going to see most of the growth in media, but they're still going to need, therefore, grants and support from altruistic individuals. And corporations, sure, I agree with you. Yeah. Uh, Rosemary, what do you think? How would you have answered that question? 
in terms of whether or not the potential is for not-for-profit newspapers. Similar to what Rex said, they're also in trouble. It's not working even at that level. Newspapers and other news outlets are really expensive. It takes a lot of money. It always has. And there's nothing that we've come up with that really sustains that over a period of time. That's why I keep going back to I know there's a long tradition in this country of keeping government and media separate. But I think that there's no other way right now. If I if I hear one more time, oh, we'll get Google and Facebook and uh, to contribute and Amazon to contribute to <laughs> to um, uh, news, and we'll be fine. That isn't going to happen because they are corporate cultures, and we've seen over and over again that corporations are not into altruism anymore. So I don't see a solution other than us realizing that yes. The news is so vital to our democracy, and we see it every day now in this coronavirus. And we need the news media, and there has to be a tax to get it. A generation ago, newspapers were extremely profitable, if you remember, but the profit margin there now is very slim. What I deal with are a lot of family businesses, you know, families that have run these small newspapers for generations, and they take great pride in being a family business and that they've run it. I mean, would they be inclined to switch to nonprofit and would it would make them more sustainable or find new sources of revenue? Maybe some of them would, but you can't let go of the notion that this is an industry. It's a business and that these families, many families, are small operations and there's a certain amount of pride that comes from owning the same and running the same operation for 125 years. I don't know how anxious they would be to let go of that. Well, if they're going to close anyway, or if they're going to go from paper, for example, as so many are now, to online one way or another, what do you think if it's a question of losing your business altogether or not having, you know, I mean, and look, this is what it comes down to. When you die, somebody else takes over and nobody gets the money, right? So that's a little bit of a disincentive to go to non-for-profit. I think that's less uh, of an issue. I think it's a harsh reality that they're all facing now, but I think the shutting down the voice of the community is more of an issue than what's going to be in their will or what they're passing. Well, I agree. I think they do want it to pass down from generation to generation, but yeah. so it's part of the equation. You know, the difficulty, though, is uh, one of the difficulties that you confront is what Alan alluded to before, when content so upsets an audience or a funding source that it it's problematic. We have seen the president's attacks on the news media, and we've seen that being adopted by his supporters around the country, leading you to think that, well, there's never going to be enough support anymore for the news media. I mean, recently, I'm taken by the reports over the past few days from reporters who have been targets at protests, the protests of the shutdowns, uh, people who say they don't want anybody to have to wear face masks, who are coming up to reporters and attacking them verbally, uh, apparently, in most cases. But just because it's a reporter, a reporter who's there, by the way, to cover fairly the demonstration of these people. And so the difficulty is, at what point does the public attack on the media just make it impossible for you to get any kind of support for a financial solution to that? And you know, and you know Rex, it gets worse because you got a president of the United States when the rallies were going on. This is one of the more interesting things that there aren't any rallies right now. Who would attack the media? It would be one of his rallying cries to attack the media and CNN and everybody else. I remember thinking about those CNN reporters who were standing there in the back of the hall doing commentary while he was there saying, basically, they're terrible. You've got to be a little mm -hmm. bit risky.
You know, and and I think that I want song, a I, government tax to pay for this. I have no illusions that there's going to be a popular uprising saying, fund our newspapers, fund our radio. <laughs> it's going to have to come from brave and intrepid legislators who recognize the value of news dissemination in a democracy, just the same way as it, it will require that for gun control, which does have wide popular support, and it still isn't being passed into laws. So it is not going to – the public has always attacked the press. We're an easy target. I went to demonstrations years ago on matters far different than this and, you know, got shoved out of the way because I was blocking someone's view. They did, they did not see me as their champion there to represent them. That has never been the case. You know, it's true, Rosemary. There haven't, there haven't been a lot of politicians stepping forth to support the reporters who are this is, this is happening to. The case in Long Island, which was a news reporter who was attacked, verbally attacked by protesters, mm-hmm. the tweets about him were even retweeted by the president, who was, mm-hmm. who was essentially affirming what happened to him was right. But it's true, fellow journalists are rising in support of the journalists, but I'm not seeing a lot of public officials do it at all. You know, we've had this conversation several weeks in a row about, and Rex has brought it up quite properly, that there has to be a better funding model than we've got. One of the funding models, and I know I've talked about this sort of ad nauseum, is a bunch of rich guys got together in the Berkshires, where I live in western Massachusetts, and decided they were going to fund the Berkshire Eagle. And the Berkshire Eagle really did a phenomenal job. And every day there was a bigger paper, and there were full-page things that we never saw before, and it was just great. And then the publisher announced that, uh, you know, there was going to be an involvement on the part of the people who had given the money. One of them, a fabulous man, died, and now the paper is much smaller than it was at that point. So I don't think we can count on that as being the model, although I had some hopes when it started. It certainly did help the Washington Post, you know, when a a wealthy man took that over, uh, of course, you know. Jeff Bezos immediately brought his capital to bear. Jeff Bezos is about to become the world's first trillionaire. So, I mean, I think rich people, maybe there is part of a solution there, but you're right. It becomes a question of how long are they willing to, to put up the money. Eric and Wendy Schmidt, Eric Schmidt, the former CEO of Google, donated almost $5 million to fund a couple of NPR collaborative newsrooms, one in California, one in the Midwest, a a hub, you know, a collaborative journalism network to let NPR stations do some local investigative reporting. So, you know, thank goodness for rich people who care about journalism. And by the way, Rex, that works both ways. Thank goodness for them when you, when they do these wonderful things, and not so good when they do things that are not as good. Rosemary, are you going to say? Well, I would say I was, NPR is probably listening to this and now is heading towards the Berkshire, so uh, <laughs> it's obviously some people to pay. And, and it just, again, points out the whole fragility of this enterprise. You cannot rely on charity, and there just aren't enough rich people interested in, in owning media outlets. And doing it the right way, the way Bezos does, not getting involved in what they cover and how they cover it, at least as far as we know. Again, I go back to the BBC gets a reliable, consistent funding and no interference, at least. By, by the way, when yeah. Margaret Thatcher became the PM over there, uh, we had a deputation at WAMC who had been told that they should go out and find the money themselves. <laughs> you know, in other words, you say it's been reliable, and I think, you know, the Brits are pretty good about insisting on that. But I do know that there have been some attempts to diminish the support that they've had at the BBC. Sure. Boris is doing that right now, is, is calling for less funding. 
but there's resistance to it uh, sure. in the same way that the pres- presidents here have run into resistance when they try to defund PBS. And NPR. It happens all the time. Sure, sure. And quickly, Reagan got away with that. Reagan said no direct money to NPR. It comes to the stations. We all pass whatever we get and a lot more on to NPR. But he was able to make a difference. All right, so we have uh, gone through this much time without actually talking very directly about the president. Uh, the most uh, significant news story about him, the one that certainly raised eyebrows, having to be the hydroxychloroquine moment when the, uh, he suddenly announced, almost parenthetically, that he was taking this anti-malarial drug, which is an odd thing, you know. Those of us who, aren't, who, who don't pay as much attention to Fox News may have been quite shocked by the resilience of this story. But certainly, this is one of those situations where the news coverage, specifically that of Fox News, has led the public policy. Or am I getting this wrong? Isn't that right? Well, not all sections of Fox News. Cavuto came out and said the president is saying something that's dangerous. Do not do what he is doing. So that was interesting to me. Yeah, but on the other hand, he's an evil genius in my mind. And he knows full well that when there are important public policy things on the table, you throw in that you're taking this drug, which nobody should be taking in America because it's unproven and because, in fact, sometimes because of heart arrhythmia, it's a bad idea. And people are doing it. We know that. They're selling more of it. I saw a doctor on television saying, hey, I tried it. So this is the president of the United States, the most powerful man in the world. He says something like that. People are going to follow. And he is a master of diverting public attention. And I have a feeling we ain't seen nothing yet. The media should respond to that. Well, the media knows a good story when they see it, right, Rosemary? And he did it in the middle of a news conference. I mean, should they have cut out and said, oh, the president's you know, selling snake oil here. See you later. Well, they, it, they did say impossible. it. Well, everybody has said it. They, they said went it to all afterward. the You're right. Yeah, right. They went to all the doctors. They went to the people, and you know, and did it. Right. But he he got away with it, and uh, he changed yeah. the national conversation by just raising it. And you're right. Nobody asked him the question. He just offered it. Yeah. In fact, he even gloated and said, "I've been waiting to see your reaction when I bring this up." He just. You are right. Evil genius. He knows how to play the media. Uh, the media should have known better. And the other thing about this is they've repeated the story. Again, it's been a, I understand that it should have been a one-day story, but we keep repeating this, and it seems like they're obsessed with it. Move on. It's the same thing with whether or not the, the, the president is wearing a mask. I know as a leader he's supposed to model good behavior, but get off the mask story and talk about some real issues that are happening out there. These are easy stories to do. The harder stories to do are the more substantive ones that give the, the public the information uh, they need to know about this. I disagree. I disagree. We know that the one thing that has made a big difference in social distancing are the, is the wearing of masks. And when the president of the United States says, I'm not going to wear a mask either implicitly or just doesn't do it and makes fools out of everybody, he's going to cause deaths as a result of that. So I think the media needs to do it. How do you totally emphasize able to distinguish between a real story and a distraction. Yeah, how do you do that? You've been an editor. You certainly know, uh, Rosemary. You're sitting there, and along comes a story. You put your finger, you, you wet your finger, and you hold it up in the air, and you say, "Hmm, I wonder should, yep. whether this is going to get the kind of attention that this other thing is going to get." And you know what you're going to do. Yeah, I'm going to go with the story. With the and and I like the hydroxychloride story. I like the mass story. <laughs> And I don't think that that distracts me from the fact that he's also wrecking the environment and dismantling the accountability system. I think that the media can cover all of it. 
and that he's especially firing, if they were well yeah. funded. And that he's firing an inspector general who was hired to make sure that his friend Pompeo was doing no wrong. But he is. And along comes the inspector general and is about to say so. And they fire him. Why? Because Pompeo, the subject of the investigation, asks him to. And he says, well, Mike asked me to, so I did it. Yes, that's what Rosemary was alluding to by saying he's dismantling the accountability system, uh, firing five inspectors general in six weeks. And certainly that's a big story. But the point is, how do you pay attention to maybe you're right, Rosemary, maybe we can walk and chew gum at the same time. But, boy, it's hard to get attention to things other than coronavirus when that is what's killing people. How do you There's get actually a lot of evidence that sustained attention by the media kills interest. We see that when we're covering famine, when we're covering war, people just get attuned to it and don't pay attention anymore. So maybe it's fine that we skip from one topic to another. We certainly have a choice under the Trump administration. You know, the problem with doing this program by phone and from different locations is you hear different things that you may not be real. You said famine, and I thought you were saying covering salmon. And I said, well, that's a big difference. (laughs) (laughs) If there were salmon, there would not be famine. You're so right. I am worried about the world salmon fishery. You know, I think that uh, we do need to protect the life of uh, the salmon. World salmon. Uh, (laughs) Yes. All right. Salmon, famine, whatever. Uh, this is actually all we have time for the media project. Oh, no. Um, yeah, not enough time for more parting shots. Very sorry to, to mention that. But we are grateful to our listeners uh, for tuning in, uh, to our producer, David Gustina, Rosemary Armeo, Judy Patrick, Allen Shartok, and I'm Rex Smith. Thanks to you for joining us. We we'll hope to see you again next week on the Media Project. Hold the press, hold the press, extra, extra, read all about it. It's a mess meets the test. All newspapermen meet such interesting people. Like the richest girl who could not bake a cake. Ding, ling, ding, ling, 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 ling. Now newspapermen are such interesting people. They used to work like hell just for romance. But finally, the movies notwithstanding, they all got tired of patches on their pants. They organized a union. The Media Project is a production of WAMC Northeast Public Radio. Alan Shartok is CEO of WAMC, professor emeritus at the State University of New York, commentator, columnist, and author. Rex Smith is editor-at-large of the Times Union. Judy Patrick is the vice president for editorial development for the New York Press Association. And Rosemary Armeo is an investigative journalist and former chair of the Department of Journalism at the University at Albany. You can listen to or podcast The Media Project anytime at WAMC.org or just download Download the WAMC app for your iPhone or Android at the Play Store today. Thanks for listening. They claim to represent the common people. Funny Wall Street never has complained. Ah, but publishers have worries, for publishers must go to working folks for readers and to big shots for their dough. Now publishers are such interesting people. It could be prostitution, I don't know. Ting-a-ling-a-ling, circulation, ting-a-ling-a-ling, advertising, get those readers, get that payoff. What a headache, what a mess. Oh, publishers are such interesting people. Let's give free cheers for freedom of the press.